Hey, everybody, this is Jim C. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. The great paradoxes of AA, first and foremost, is I had to surrender to win. If I kept holding on to my own will and doing it my way, I couldn't stay sober. Or if I could stay sober, I didn't live a peaceful, happy life. I was restless, irritable, and discontented. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much to Jeff Bain, Frederick Maryland for editing services. Appreciate your help. What's going on for today? Who's in the studio? So today is April 30th and we have Jim C from Venice, Florida with us today. And he's going to read uh, the daily reflection and share his experience, strength and hope around it. And it's entitled a great paradox. Oh, fantastic. Well, Jim, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. All right. Well, we get started in the same way every day. We ask the guests to read the Daily Reflection. Today is April 30th. Can you get us started? I sure can. A great paradox. These legacies of suffering and recovery are easily passed among alcoholics, one to the other. It is our gift from God, and its bestowal upon others like us is the one aim that today animates AAs all around the globe. 12 and 12, page 151. The great paradox in AA is that I know I cannot keep the precious gift of sobriety unless I give it away. My primary purpose is to stay sober in AA. I have no other goal, and the importance of this matter is a matter of life and death for me. If I veer from this purpose, I lose. But AA is not only for me. It is for the alcoholic who still suffers. The lesions of recovering alcoholics stay sober by sharing with fellow alcoholics. The way that my recovery is to show others in AA that when I share with them, we both grow in the grace of the higher power, and both of us are on the road to happy destiny. That is a beautiful read, and thank you so much for reading. And Jim, before we get started, what is your sobriety date? April 10th, 2010. Wow. So as you read this, what comes to mind right off the bat for you? The great paradoxes of AA, first and foremost, is I had to surrender to win. If I kept holding on to my own will and doing it my way, I couldn't stay sober. Or if I could stay sober, I didn't live a peaceful, happy life. I was restless, irritable, and discontented. By helping other alcoholics to go through the steps you know, that's where I find my my greatest joy, to see them grow from just being able to not drink to having an amazing life. I got that by my sponsor taking me through the steps, you know, one chapter at a time, really taking my hand and putting my hand in God's. Yeah, the, the reflection talks about the legacies of suffering and of recovery. 
was there a time you were really suffering, maybe even before you came in? You want to talk a little bit about what brought you into the rooms? Well, on April 9th, I went out and I really tried to tie one on. I was drinking at something. The more I drank, the less drunk I got. And I swear I didn't get drunk that night. But April 10th, when I woke up the next morning, you know, I had that incomprehensible demoralization that the book talks about. You know, I knew from having gone to many, 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 many meetings that the way I drank the night before was alcoholically. I picked up the phone and I called my best friend who I knew had gone back to meetings. You know, I asked him where he was going that night. And he told me that they were going to a clubhouse in Roxborough, Pennsylvania to meet them there. And uh, I thought, great. The last time I had been there, there were probably 30 to 40 people in the room. And I would be able to go in and hide in the back and hang out with my two best friends. God had other plans. I walked into that meeting and there were three gentlemen. And the first one shared for 10 minutes. And the second one shared for 10 minutes. And the third one shared for 10 minutes. And then there were six eyeballs on me. And the only thing I could do was say, I'm an alcoholic. My name's Jim. And I drank last night. And that's all I remember. You know, but at the beginning, after I, I, I got through that, my life was miserable. Nothing went my way. I had been in AA for 17 years before that, but I didn't work the, the program. I worked the fellowship. You know, I would go to meetings. I would go to dances. I would hang out with people, but I never got into the program. And you know, having someone take me through the program changed my life. So Jim, it talks um, here in the Daily Reflection, the second paragraph of the bottom part, it says, my primary purpose is to stay sober. In AA, I have no other goal. And the importance of this is a matter of life and death for me. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Like I said, I had had 17 years without a drink at one point. Um, I ended up picking up a drink. From that point on, my life became a living hell until April 10th, 2010. What I really learned was that I have this allergy to alcohol and the mental obsession. And the allergy ensures that I can't drink like normal people. And the mental obsession ensures that when I'm not drinking, all I'm thinking about is my next drink. You know, for me to drink, I mean, I went so far down, uh, I'm afraid the next time I do, if I do, is death, you know, so I take it like it's a matter of life and death. And I often say, if I have to have a progressive fatal illness, thank God it's alcoholism, because instead of having to get a lung, half my lung removed, or you know, get hooked up to dialysis, or take even an insulin shot every day, pick up a cup of coffee, I head to an AA meeting, I talk about my biggest problem, me. That's the treatment for my progressive life-threatening illness. You know, and it's the only progressive life-threatening illness where I can be better after I've gone through the treatment than I was before I got the disease. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, I, I've heard you say that many times. You know, uh, I'm. Uh, my name is. Uh, how do you introduce yourself at a meeting? You say, 
Um, I'm an alcoholic. My biggest problem is Jim. <laughs> I love it. I mean, what do you mean by that? Your your biggest problem is Jim. My problem resides in my mind. You know, I can be, I am the great I am. And if I don't remind myself by going to meetings and hanging out with people in Alcoholics Anonymous and taking other men through the steps, I can go right back there. I can go back to I am the great I am. And King Baby James comes out. I introduce myself that way to remind myself that, you know, I am my biggest problem. I love that. So you essentially what you're saying is that, I mean, we, you know, you, you really nicely explained the disease of alcoholism, the allergy of the body and the mental obsession. And then you said, you know, I'm basically focused on myself and that's it. That's the, that's the problem. So what's the solution to that problem for you? What is, what is the recovery program? Like how do we recover from, from being the problem? What I like to do is, is get a hold of someone who knows how to not drink a day at a time. And they've, they've strung together up to 90 days. And then I take them through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the way it was done for me. Going through that, I get to see them transfer from shivering denizen of, of king alcohol to someone brimming with self-confidence. And, and then I tell them, you know, your sole job is to pass this on to the next person. My job as a sponsor is to take your hand, walk you through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, put your hand in God's, and then turn you loose on the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous to do the same for others. It's how it works. It's how we, mm-hmm. uh, you know, nothing will show ensure immunity from a drink than intensive work with another alcoholic, right? So, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I know you sponsor quite a few men. I'm curious about how you found your sponsor. Um, So when I came back into the rooms, you know, I I called a guy who had been my sponsor before. And he said, okay, give me a call at 730 every morning. And I was going to a 715 meeting every day that I felt really comfortable in. And it has great recovery. So I said, I can't do that. And he said, well, that's the only time I can talk to you. So I said, okay, next. And then I went to a guy that I knew for probably 20 years when I was sober before. And he said, I'll always be your friend, but you and I live too far apart. And I won't see you at meetings on a regular basis. So go to your clubhouse and keep your eyes on people and then you'll know who to who to sponsor you. And I went to that meeting for about a year. There was this guy who always walked into the meeting with a big book in his hand. And no matter what the topic was, he would open up his big book and he would say, it says right here in relationship to the topic we were talking about. And I thought, hmm, he's sort of a weirdo. And then I started hanging out with him And I learned that he actually acted the way he talked about in meetings. And he invited me to his house for dinner one night. And I saw that he was the exact same way with his family as he was in meetings. So he was not only talking the talk, but he was walking the walk. And I thought, you know what? I want to model my life after his. So after a meeting one day, And I, in my 17 years in the program before, I had had a virtual who's who of sponsors based on one share that they had. 
And I thought, won't so-and-so be impressed if that person's my sponsor? And, and I didn't do that this time. I, I went up and instead of asking him to sponsor me, I asked him to take me through the steps. And he said, okay, grab your big book and a highlighter and go to the preface and the forward to the first four editions and highlight everything that jumped out at you. And we'll get together on Friday and we'll talk about that. I thought, don't you know who you're talking to? I had 17 years in this program. And he said the best thing he could ever say to me. He said, the only way I know how to do it is the way it was done for me. I thought to myself in that moment, I asked him to take me through the steps. He didn't run up to me and ask me to let him take me through the steps. And, you know, the, the relationship that, that formed out of that is, you know, I look at him as my best friend these days. He knows me better than any living human being ever has. He's heard my fifth step and he still likes me. You know, when I got married to my wife, uh, I asked him to officiate the service because he, he's an ordained minister. You know, that's not what he does for a living. It's what he does for, for friends and family. You know, he's just, he, he's the most significant male influence I've ever had in my life. That was sort of how I did it. I, I, I looked around and I thought, whose life do I want to model? And it was Tom's. That's beautiful. I, I do think that the sponsorship relationship is one of the most important relationships we'll ever have in our life. Besides, of course, you know, our spouse or our children. Um, you know, for those listening that, that you're talking about a lot of important things and it's, it's bringing up some questions that might be occurring to those either brand new or people that haven't yet joined AA, maybe just thinking about whether they have an issue. What exactly is a sponsor? And the follow-up to that would be, what if new people are asking, trying to find a sponsor and someone says no, or they're afraid or they're shy? What are your suggestions for them? My primary suggestion is just do it. You don't ever have to have the perfect sponsor. I mean, you're, you're not going to get the perfect sponsor right up front. You may not. You may. In my 17 years, like I said, I had a lot of different sponsors and they all gave me a little bit. The sponsor I got this time, I took my time to get him. I mean, he's given me a life beyond my wildest dreams. I have an amazing life today. And it's because I've gone through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I know a lot of people who have started their, their journey with a sponsor and learned how to not drink, but that's all they could get out of that sponsor. And there's a lot more to being a recovered alcoholic than just not drinking. They may need to find a second or even a third sponsor. I mean, I've had people, I've taken them through the steps and, and they need more after we've gone through the steps and I wish them well. You know, we're still friends. I, I still love them like a brother. I'm just not their sponsor. They needed something different than what I could give them. So there's no no permanency required on a sponsor. You know, I was turned down twice when I got my sponsor. And, you know, it just wouldn't have been the right match. It wasn't the right match for both of us. As it turned out, it worked out perfectly for me. You mentioned you might not find the perfect sponsor, but in finding a sponsor, I think that's perfect. And it's all about acceptance and and working with the tools that you're given. You mentioned something about your sponsor walking you through the steps and and guiding you through the process of having a spiritual awakening or or, or a spiritual experience. 
what does that spiritual experience look like for you? And, and maybe talk about your concept of a higher power. Oh, that's a good question. My concept of a higher power. When I first got sober, you know, I was so afraid of the whole God issue. It was like, I believed there was a God. I didn't believe that God believed in me. I had to take baby steps. I thought I had a good spirituality in my first go round in recovery. But what I had was I had this good feeling in my stomach when something good happened to me. And I would just say, oh, well, that's God working in my life. My spirituality this time around is more about my actions, what I'm doing, and how am I helping AA and people in AA. So one of the things I do is, is I go to meetings, not because I need a meeting to stay sober, but I may have something to share that someone needs to hear. More of the meetings I go to are for sharing my experience, strength, and hope than for getting experience, strength, and hope from someone else. And that's, that's where I think my higher power lies is in, you know, he works through me to help other people. So we talked a little bit about advice for newcomers or people that might be investigating the program with regard to sponsorship. Do you have any advice for newcomers or people that might be investigating the program just in general that you would like to share? One of the greatest things I ever heard at a meeting was that it says five times before page one in the big book that, and I'm going to paraphrase, when the shit hits the fan, work with another alcoholic. What I learned that means for me is when I'm going through something tough, when I want to drink more than anything else, I need to pick up the phone and I need to call someone. And instead of blurting out what's going on with me, just saying, how are you? And then I shut up and I let them talk. In 11 years of doing that, I have never not gotten relief from that desire to drink within 30 seconds. So if there's one piece of advice that I could give to someone, it's when you pick up the phone, the easiest phone call to make is to someone else who you may know is struggling and just say, how are you? And the healing power of that is amazing because we are all self-centered to the extreme. And that's about the most selfless act I can do. I love that. And that was so powerful for me coming in. You know, I, I did receive numbers early on, but I, di- I didn't know, you know, I didn't really actually want to call folks. And, um, and any advice about like getting out of their own self and, and just, you know, getting to a meeting and, and actually being willing to, to take a number and pick up the phone and call that person? I, I think it's much easier to call someone and just say, how are you? And shut up than to to dig myself into the problem that I'm I'm going through. So that's why I keep it really simple. How are you? It's three words. And then shut up. The conversation will take on its own life. And when I first came in years and years and years ago, I asked somebody, if I call somebody, what do I say? And they said, every telephone conversation I've ever had starts with hello. And that's all you have to say. So I've expanded that to how are you? 
But again, it, it's it's worked every single time, and it's worked every single time for everyone I know. Everybody I've ever told that to who has come back to me and said, you know, that works. And so we're in the middle of a pandemic right now, and um, there are some in-person meetings happening, but also a lot of Zoom meetings. So in the in-person meetings, I guess people pass around the where and when and put their numbers on it for the newcomers. So that's one way that you would find numbers to call, correct? And then in Zoom, oftentimes folks will put their numbers in the chat, and that's another way to find the numbers of people to call. And, and, um, And we usually suggest that you know, the women look for women's numbers and the men look for men's numbers. As we begin to close, is there anything else that you want to make sure our audience hears? I, you know, I have so many thoughts on the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, it's it's make meetings. One thing that drives me crazy is is when I hear someone say the only thing that meeting makers make is meetings. If I didn't make all the meetings I made, I wouldn't have met my sponsor. I wouldn't have watched my sponsor. So it, it's always just make as many meetings as, as possible and and make as many meetings, make meetings as often as you drank is is the one thing that if you drank every day, you got to make a meeting every day. If you were a morning drinker, become a morning meeting maker. If you were an afternoon drinker, make meetings on the way home. The, the wonderful thing about AA is there are meetings anytime, anywhere. The the meeting guide is a wonderful, wonderful uh, tool that has been brought to us by the technological powers that be. You know, it tells me when the next meeting closest to me is. And if it's just a Zoom meeting, it gives me the Zoom credentials in there. So I can just Zoom in. And I have to say that you know, I am forever grateful to your podcast partner for that because he introduced me to that. How many years ago now, Mike? Five? Yeah, five um, or six, something like that. Yep. And I mean, I, I got it the day you told me about it. And when we were in Europe, we had it and it told us not only the next available meeting, but it only really gave us English speaking meetings. You know, it works all over the world. You know, this whole pandemic thing isn't going to last forever. I know you people up north think it is. You know, we're we're almost fully vaccinated down here in Florida and and it's opened back up a lot. The meeting guide is working is is live and well down here. That's awesome. Yeah, and I love the I love the meeting guide. If folks are wondering what that is, you can go to the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store and search for meeting guide. And it's a white chair on a blue background. It's completely free. And what it does is it uses your phone's capability to to know where you're at at any given moment to give you a list of meetings that are close to you. These are AA meetings in your general vicinity at the time that they're going to happen next. There's no better way to to find a meeting than to whip out that that app, give it permission to find to use your location. It doesn't do anything apart from use that to to reference your location in a database, a global database of meetings, and and it can help you find uh, meetings right near you, right in the town where you are. There, you know, in my area, there are over uh, seven thousand meetings every single week, and it's just uh, it's just incredible. So um, so definitely check out the meeting guide. We'll place a link 
to some resources that'll help you find that app in the in the show notes for this podcast episode. Jim, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your experience, strength, and hope with us. It's been a great conversation. Thanks, Mike, for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Wish we could have done it sooner. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for coming. Hey, Lee. Pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. This podcast was produced by Lee McGinnis and Michael Lynn. Editing services by Jeff Bain.